Welcome to the Brodies Employment and Immigration Podcast, brought to you in association with Workbox by Brodies, our award-winning online HR and employment law resource. I'm Katie Spearman, a practice development lawyer in Brodies Employment and Immigration team, and on today's episode, I'm joined remotely by employment law partner Fiona Herrell. Welcome, Fiona. Hi there, Katie. So back in January, we published our HR to-do list for the year ahead, but little did we know that coronavirus was about to arrive in the UK, bringing with it new challenges for employers. With that in mind, on today's episode, we will be discussing what your revised HR to-do lists might look like for the remainder of 2020. We will start with furlough and the coronavirus job retention scheme. Fiona, perhaps you could set out what employers who have furloughed employees need to be considering in the coming weeks and months. Thanks, Katie. Yes, so if you have furloughed employees and are relying on grants being made available under the job retention scheme, you're definitely going to want to think about how long employees will remain furloughed for. Now, the scheme has been extended till the 31st of October 2020, but obviously on Friday evening we had the Chancellor's announcement. So we now have a bit more detail about what the scheme is going to look like in the coming weeks and months. For starters, we now know it's going to be possible for you to bring furloughed employees back to work part-time while still claiming under the scheme and that's going to be operational from the 1st of July which is a month earlier than we were originally anticipating and if you're going to do that you're going to need to agree the changes with the employees and also confirm the agreement in writing in order to be eligible under the scheme so that's something that will take a little bit of planning in advance. If employees are going to come back and do some work for you part-time, you'll be responsible for paying their normal salary that they would be entitled to under their contract of employment for the hours that they work, but the scheme will continue to cover the hours the employee isn't working for you, so when they're still furloughed. We haven't seen the detail yet of how these calculations will be undertaken, but we expect that there will be some tricky calculations to be done, so preparing for that as well will be key. I think it's also worth highlighting that employers will only be able to bring furloughed employees back to work where either home working is an option or the workplace is permitted to open in line with relevant government guidance. Absolutely. Any decisions about bringing furloughed employees back to the workplace will require careful planning and consideration. It's also really important to mention that if you have not already furloughed employees, but this is something you want to do or you may want to do, you should be looking into this now. And the reason for that is that from July onwards, it will only be possible to furlough employees who have already been furloughed for a full consecutive three-week period prior to the 30th of June. What this means is that employers can only claim under the scheme in respect of employees who were furloughed for the first time on or before the 10th of June. So that's a deadline. Um, And so if you're thinking about furloughing employees and you haven't done so already, you really need to start thinking about that now. That's right. And at the end of last week, we also found out more details on when employer contributions towards wage costs will increase under the scheme. A new taper requiring employers to contribute to furloughed salaries will be bought in from August. You can find out more detailed information on the taper amounts and dates, as well as the latest changes in our recent blog, which I'll put a link to in the podcast show notes. I'd also just add that Tony Haddon and Will Rawlinson from the team will be hosting a webinar on this on Thursday the 4th of June. So if any listeners would like to find out more, then they should sign up for that webinar. Definitely. 
And next on the to-do list is the issue of holiday entitlements and how employers should try to manage when holiday is taken, which has been the subject of much discussion over recent months, hasn't it, Fiona? Yeah, we know that a lot of clients have been thinking about holidays and in particular holidays for furloughed staff. And there's been a question mark about whether you can require employees to take annual leave during furlough leave. Now, we do have government guidance on this, which suggests that you can require workers to take annual leave while furloughed, provided that you give the required period of notice under the working time regulations. The slight wrinkle, though, is that the guidance states that you should consider when it, whether any restrictions the worker is under, such as the need to socially distance or self-isolate, prevent the worker from resting, relaxing and enjoying leisure time because of course this is the fundamental purpose of holiday. So that leaves us with a bit of a grey area and a bit of ambiguity as to whether or not holiday during furlough affords sufficient rest and relaxation as required by law and I think we'll probably get some legal challenge in this area. There's also been legislative change in relation to the carryover of holidays to enable workers to carry forward up to four weeks of their statutory holiday entitlement into the next two holiday years, immediately following the holiday year in which it was due. But that is only if it was not reasonably practicable for them to take the holiday as a result of the effects of coronavirus. So HR teams will need to consider if this can be relied upon in the context of their business and in the context of the individual employees in question. I think, like you say, holidays are a tricky issue for employers at the moment, as they appreciate that current circumstances mean employees are unlikely to be able to use their holidays in the ways they usually would, for example, trips abroad or doing activities that they enjoy. But it's just not going to be possible for everyone to take holiday at the end of the year or once restrictions have been eased. Absolutely. It's all going to be about striking the right balance, isn't it? And what we've seen from lots of the clients that we're working with is that the HR teams are communicating with their employees about holidays. So thinking about things like reminding them of the days that they've got left, as well as letting them know that holiday can be taken during furlough and that it can also be taken to help with caring responsibilities, for example, all of that might help. Yes, exactly. So turning now to another topic, which is home working, and this has been another huge adjustment for many employers, and as social distancing restrictions remain in place, it's likely home working will continue, particularly for office-based staff in the coming months. So continuing to effectively manage home working will be key for HR teams this year. Definitely, and one way of setting out the arrangements that will apply to home workers is obviously to have a home working policy if you don't have one already and that would typically cover matters such as insurance, equipment, expenses, data security and even if you don't envisage home working being continued longer term I'd recommend putting in place a temporary home working policy. It's also really important to remember that employers have a duty to protect the health, safety and welfare of home workers so far as is reasonably practicable. So if you do have staff working from home, you must consider regularly what action you need to take to satisfy your health and safety obligations. Now, that might not just sit with HR, it's likely to sit with your health and safety colleagues too, but it's something definitely to have on your radar. Yes, absolutely. And you'll also want to ensure that you review your other policies and update them to reflect new arrangements or working practices that that you may have put in place. For example, you may need to amend disciplinary and grievance policies to include a section explaining what the process will be where hearings are to take place via video conferencing. 
And I think, Katie, it's also worth mentioning that employees who have been working remotely um, and or who have adjusted their working hours or working patterns may well want to make these arrangements permanent. So it's likely that HR teams will be dealing with an increased number of flexible working applications. So it would be a good opportunity now just to refresh memories as to what the statutory process is in relation to flexible working applications and also the prescribed business reasons that you can use if you're going to refuse an application. Just remember, though, that the applications should be considered in light of the arrangements that have been in place during lockdown. Yes, some employees may have found that changes to their work arrangements, although imposed by coronavirus, have actually made a positive impact and they may be keen to carry these on in the longer term. However, on a separate note, not all employees are going to be as content. They may not agree with the approaches their employer has taken or indeed plans to take, particularly as we move towards a return to the workplace and the numerous obstacles which employers will need to try to navigate with staff. As a result, we anticipate there might be an increase in employee complaints and challenges. Absolutely. I do think it's likely that HR teams are going to be dealing with an increase in grievances, whistleblowing and health and safety complaints. Now, obviously, most employers will have processes in place for dealing with grievances and whistleblowing complaints already, but HR teams will want to consider how to best handle health and safety concerns so that these can be closed out as quickly as possible. It's also important to highlight that the time limits for responding to an employment tribunal claim have not been extended as a result of the pandemic, notwithstanding the fact that many businesses have been ordered to close. The normal procedure for seeking an extension will continue to apply. And just on the point of employee relations and potential challenges, Katie, the trade unions have been very vocal around the health and safety of their members, as well as the use of the job retention scheme and the protection of jobs post-crisis. So it's likely employers will need to manage industrial relations more closely than they perhaps have had to in the past. Engaging with union representatives at an early stage will be crucial. And in a non-unionised workplace, it may be beneficial to introduce workplace forums or some sort of consultation committee if one doesn't already exist. Yes, and we actually have a blog about the benefits of electing a standing body of representatives, and I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to take a look. So we've mentioned that workplaces have already seen a lot of change, but further change may be afoot for many businesses as part of their business continuity planning exercises. Yes, many employers are having to look at making fundamental changes to their business in response to the impact that coronavirus has had. That may include things like changing terms and conditions of employment, undertaking redundancy and restructuring exercises and outsourcing services to a third party service provider. It's important that any process which may result in the termination of employment is fair and transparent in order to manage the risk of legal challenge. Employers will also need to be reminded of collective consultation obligations that will normally require 30 or 45 days of consultation depending on the number of people involved and they may be triggered in the context of a redundancy or a restructuring exercise but also as a result of a proposal to change terms and conditions of employment. There will also be consultation obligations arising in the context of any cheapy transfers. Yeah, I think employers will have a lot to consider in the, in the months ahead, that's for sure. We're hosting a webinar on redundancy and restructuring next Wednesday, so that's one to look out for if you want to hear further practical advice on those topics. The theme of change continues when we think about how employers will start to prepare for getting employers back to the workplaces as well. Yep, absolutely, Katie. Workplaces are not going to be the same as when we left them, and there will be various HR and employment law considerations 
arising in the context of preparing for our return to the workplace, engaging with health and safety representatives about the proposed return to work plan and genuinely consulting about the measures to be adopted to ensure health and safety in the workplace is obviously going to be critical. There's then things like supporting managers to undertake processes to select which colleagues will return to the workplace first, managing colleagues who are unwilling to return to the workplace, managing requests from employees who wish to return to the workplace, thinking about new processes, for example, if you're going to introduce some sort of testing of employees and making sure that appropriate training is delivered as well. Yes, and and in developing your plan, I think um, when you're thinking about employees returning to the workplace, a combined approach involving a cross-section of your business is probably going to be necessary. So this is likely to involve HR working alongside compliance, health and safety and legal functions to achieve the best outcome. Absolutely. A joined up approach on this is going to be key. And Fiona, lastly, is there anything else you think employers should have on their radar for this year? Thanks, Katie. Just one last point for me was be in relation to immigration. Obviously, coronavirus has dominated the news and been at the forefront of employers' minds. But immigration is still a key agenda item for employers in preparation for the UK's new points-based immigration system and also the Brexit deadlines. Employers who do not already have a sponsor licence are likely to need one if they employ either medium or highly skilled workers. EU nationals coming to the UK from the 1st of January 2021 will require sponsorship by a licensed employer. So what we're recommending is that employers apply for a licence no later than the summer of 2020, as there may be delays in processing times. Yes, I'd agree. It's important to keep planning ahead to avoid any potential delays that that might happen. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to Fiona for her expert insight and thank you for listening. For a summary of the key takeaway points from today's episode, you can read Fiona's helpful blog, which I've linked to in the show notes, along with sign-up details for our upcoming webinars, Workbox by Brodie's users can also access FAQs and resources in relation to many of the topics which have been discussed during the podcast. To find out more about Workbox or to sign up for a free trial, click the link in the show notes. Also, our dedicated Workbox coronavirus FAQ pages are currently available to everyone via the Brodie's COVID-19 hub on our website, www.brodies.com. 